following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Tell me to start acting up again. All right. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another session here at the Kickbide. This is um, your host, TJ Williams, giving you the insight of my martial arts journey, um, discussing and analyzing martial arts-based subjects, and highlighting martial artists of all styles all around the world, past, present, and future. All right. So I hope everybody's having a wonderful winter. Of course, um, I wish I could say I am because I got hit with a snow blaster as in big snowstorm. So for those that get hit with snowstorms, please be careful driving, especially if your car is low to the ground. Don't attempt going to work when the snow is like from five feet above your car. All right. Well, uh, um, all jokes aside, uh, I'd like to introduce you to my guest this week. Um, She's come from um, Renton, um, Washington, about 18 to 20 minute drive from Seattle. All right. So she does the co-host show with um, my previous guest, um, Rashida um, De De Jesus, the Dynamic Dojo Talk. And here's a plus. Yeah, this is going to be a plus. Five-time world kickboxing champion. May I introduce everybody to Kate? Ah, man, I'm so excited because definitely I get fun. All right, Kathy Long. All right, so for those who are big on kickboxing back in the 90s, you're looking at the former world champion. Uh, how are we doing? I'm doing really well. And TJ, please call me Cat because that's what my friends call me. So please. Oh, Cat. Yeah, Cat better. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, how's everything doing with you? You know, I I really can't complain. Um, yes, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and the the world is turned upside down, and politics are going haywire and crazy, and everyone's talking about it, um, which I refuse to do. But yeah. you know, uh, despite all that, I'm having a a wonderful life. I'm really grateful. Really, really grateful. I'm healthy. Um, I can. I have. I have a job. I can. I can teach. So you know, I have absolute tons to be grateful for. Yeah, as long as you keep yourself busy, you know, you want to keep yourself occupied. Yeah, that's oh. the same with, thing with me. You know, I'm not sitting around most of the time. I mean, I'm either working, teaching, or even doing pro wrestling. So I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you do pro wrestling? How cool! Yeah, just. Yeah, the small version, not the big version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I prefer the small version. You get less time. <laughs> or just say you get more freedom. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know, when I when I stopped kickboxing, I retired from that. Um, I was offered, at the time it was still called the WWF, and they offered me uh, a position as a as as a pro wrestler. And boy, did they offer a ton of money and I, I just couldn't do it. Oh. At the time. I think I had a, I mean, yeah, it's, it's entertainment, but at the time there were so many people who believed that that was real and (laughs) believed the hype. And, and I just thought, I, I can't do that. 
I, I just can't. Um, but you know, watching watching them do their skits and 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 throw each other around, I mean, that's no joke. They they have to be true athletes and they really have to know what they're doing. And it's amazing in that respect. Um, kudos to them because you know they I've thrown myself on cement before, <laughs> but I'd rather not do it a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel it, but I know I pre, it pretty much comes natural to me because I'm of my martial arts training. So nice. pretty much every, everything that that I haven't been taught, I it comes naturally to me, and I don't even have to worry about messing up because it's just I just watch it, uh, observe, and it's just it just um I just do it naturally. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get in a time machine. All right. So I'm gonna put the DeLorean to rest because I don't want to worry about cars right now. Okay. I mean. I would say pick your time machine. What's your favorite time machine? Because I know you're into pop culture, probably. I I don't know that I'm in the pop culture. I have no idea. Um, but, so are you are you wanting me to go to a certain time? Well, yeah, we're gonna go back in time, like like before you got into martial arts. So that's that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go back in time. Let's go back uh, in time. Uh, all right. All right, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and um, of course, you're going to answer them at the best of your ability. All right, so definitely the first question I always ask is, describe yourself before you got into martial arts. Before I got into martial arts, I was incredibly shy. I did very well in school, but um, in, in high school, in junior high and high school, I had maybe three friends and uh, you know I was not the kind of person who needed to be a cheerleader or be needed to be the center of attention it was just the opposite I you know stuck with my friends and I enjoyed school to some degree um, because it was an escape from home and I was you know I'd like to say I have uh, you know some intelligence but yeah you know, it's just one of those situations where I didn't really uh, get along with a lot of students, but I didn't have fights or anything like that either. I just avoided them because they were, to me, they just seemed horribly Im immature. So I kept to myself most of the time, very quiet, um, loved to draw, loved psychology, loved music. I was playing guitar. Um, but drawing was probably my passion that and, you know, and competing in, in running and stuff like that. So I love to run. I, when I was in elementary school, I had severe asthma when I was born and my parents were really poor. So there was no inhalers, no medications, no nothing. It was uh, many, 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 many nights. I can't count how many nights I slept propped in the corner with a bunch of pillows sitting, sitting up because if I laid down, there's too much fluid in my lungs. I couldn't breathe. Uh, so I had to sleep sitting up a lot of the time. Yeah. A lot of challenges. Uh, me as a kid, you know, I, I loved adventure. I was very creative. Um, I loved animals. I got along with them much better than people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much better. Um, me as a kid, you know, I was a smart kid, but um, very shy. Now I have a twin sister who is the exact opposite. You know, very smart, but 
very vocal, not shy at all. She just figured that, you know, people, everybody out there in the world were just friends she hadn't met yet. (laughs) She was always, always. But the, the problem as a kid, you know, she was very brutally honest and offered her her honest opinion about people and and pointed out things that these kids would do that were you know crappy and they didn't like being told that you know that what they did was crappy because they knew it but at the same time they didn't want to be told that yeah so i had to protect her a lot i don't know that that's where martial arts started but you know i spent a long time protecting my sister and making sure she didn't get beat up (laughs) yeah so that pretty much was your push into martial arts. Yeah, I mean. Not really. Um, yeah. But I'll tell you this. Um, my my start, well, I don't know if you want to go into that just yet, but me as a kid, yeah, I was quiet and shy, painfully shy sometimes. Yeah. Man, I was um, well, pretty much I was the same way. I mean, dealing with um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you know, but yeah, I had a lot of um, – I should say I have a lot of athletic ability. I didn't do a lot of sports. I mean, pretty much the only sport that I got into was martial arts. So that pretty much gave me the push to go and to do other sports like football and also doing track and field. Well, I didn't run. I just did um, shot put and discus. But, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, but well, at least um, at the end of the um, the end of the event, you know, I got to do um, the the fat man relay. That's what we do. Like when everything is all done, we kind of have a little fun and do like a fat man relay. And of course I run, be the one running. <laughs> so that's like fun activity. Yeah. So why did they call it the fat man relay? Um, let's just say it's kind of like a, like we get all, all the shot putters together and we just do like a run. It's just no, it's like not, not okay. competition. It's just something for fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, to be a shot putter, you've got to be really strong. Oh, yeah. And very flexible. Um, you know, and I've, I've watched shot putting and discus throwing, and it's just incredible how they how they can throw those discs. It's amazing to me. And um, I've never tried it, but just watching it, it's like, yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, discus is pretty much hard because, you know, the tech you have to like throw the disc and I I couldn't do it. No times I'd be able to do it, but you know, other times I couldn't even throw far enough. But the shot put, I was a natural. I think I won like three um first place um in like um three different meets. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like that was during my senior year. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And I've got like fourth place in like the national championships. Um like, excellent. Yeah. So yeah, we call it the NFL, not like the National Football League, like the National Frontier League. So right. yeah, and I still got my trophy or uh, my plaque somewhere. So I got to look for that. <laughs> That's excellent. Good for uh, you. All right, so let's kind of go into your like martial arts um background. All right, so where did you first start when you did uh, martial arts? I was a freshman. I was fourteen in high school and. Um, a friend of mine in high school, uh, like I said, I didn't have very many friends, but that was by choice. Um, so one of my friends invited me to an Aikido class on March Air Force Base. And that was an active uh, Air Force Base at the time. Um, I mean, very, very active. So I lived right next to the West Gate. 
I wasn't in the military. I mean, my father was in the Navy, but um, at the time that I was going through school, he was no longer in the, in the military. So she invited me on onto the base and there was this wonderful instructor. His name was Ron Granville. Um, big, he, to me, because I was little, um, he, he seemed like a big giant, a big gentle giant. Um, if you can imagine, I think you can, but if you can imagine a very large black man with a big old giant gi on, I mean, he just looked like he was towering over me, right? Yeah. Gentlest, kindest, sweetest, most nurturing atmosphere that he created. And I really loved the way he interacted with everybody, the way he helped everybody, the way he promoted everybody to work with each other and help each other. It was something I didn't have at home. So I really clung to that. You know, I, I came, I was the first one there and the last one to leave. And I had to crawl under a fence through a gutter into March Air Force Base where I had no ID and I wasn't military. <laughs> <laughs> Crawling into an active military base every day. Um, and I'd crawl along the gutter for a while, the ravine, and I'd, I'd pop my head up and look at the guy at the West Gate. And when he wasn't looking, I'd just get up out of there and start walking and acted like I like I belonged there. <laughs> Act as if, right? <laughs> so that was every day. Every day I'd sneak onto base and every day I snuck home. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, but you know, I really appreciated the the family structure that he provided uh, at that school. It wasn't a school, it was, it was a little recreation area for the, for the military folks who lived there, who were stationed on that base. But there happened to be uh, you know, a big enough room to practice Aikido and so that's where we did our Aikido every day. It was awesome. Well, not every day, but you know, uh, I think it was three days a week or something along those lines. But, um, I stayed with that until I got my black belt. And um, from there, I, I used to babysit for this family that had uh, moved to Idaho when I turned 14. Um, so at 14, I used to, and there's a reason I'm, I'm segueing back to this, I'm flashbacking. Yeah. When I was 14, they moved to Idaho and I was in California at the time. And um, I scraped up enough money to get a Greyhound bus in the summertime to go spend a month with them uh, in Idaho. And so they had a, a little farm where they raised their own chickens and goats and pigs and cows and they grew alfalfa and they had grew, I mean, they basically grew all their own vegetables and the husband was a truck driver and uh, the mom had three kids at the time. And, uh, you know, this was more of a family to me, you know, a kind of adopted family than my own family. And so every summer I would take a Greyhound bus to Idaho. Um, and the first one I did was I was 14 years old. Imagine a 14 year old kid taking a Greyhound bus from California to Idaho by themselves. And yeah. coming back, it was crazy. Um, but you know, this was a time when my parents never even looked at my report card ever. Oh. Um, it was up to me to get good grades or not good grades. You know, it's entirely up to me. So, long story short, I come home when I'm uh, 
that one summer when I was 17 and I still had my senior year left to do, came home to a completely empty house. So my parents ran away from home when I was 17 and had to, I had to get a job and find a place to live and continue my last year of high school, as well as uh, my, I was doing college classes at night on some, on certain nights and my major was psychology. So in that respect, um, I kind of had to stop doing Aikido because I was working uh, jobs at night and going to high school during the day and college at night. So um, I met somebody who was a black belt in Kung Fu Sansu. So I started training with him in the parks um, in Bakersfield and it went from there. A couple of years later, um, 1983, we opened a school, uh, scraped together whatever money we could find and um, managed to pay the first month's rent, which was 1200 bucks. Yeah, it was, it was steep, but you know, it was a dollar a foot at that time. So you know, it was not that bad. And we opened our, our school in the very worst part of town because it was the cheapest rent. <laughs> so yeah, we, we opened, you know, which is, we scraped together whatever money we could. And we'd been saving for a while because we were teaching in the park for at least two years. And we had, you know, a small base of students, not a big base, but you know, between me working and him working and teaching and we were able to scrape together money and we had no idea how we were going to pay the second month's rent. <laughs> Zero clue. So, you know, we got get a piece of plywood and paint it black and get some hooks and put some cheap martial art weapons on it. And I, I was painting murals on the walls because I was an artist yeah. and I'm painting on the window, the, the our logo and whatever else. <laughs> and we'd stand there watching people walk by and say, and if they stopped, we'd say, and they'd ask a question, well, what is this? And so, and then we, he would explain, oh, this is Kung Fu Sansu. This is what we do. Here are our classes. Here's a flyer. And anyway, long story short, I was a black belt in Aikido when I started Kung Fu Sansu, but we opened the school together. So I was basically learning as, as you know, on the fly. I'd spent a couple of years in the park learning. So, you know, I was pretty much a, a yellow belt <laughs> when we opened the school. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was insane and crazy, but um, what an amazing experience. We were struggling, and I remember um, we saw an advertisement in the, in the newspaper for, this, some, for somebody who was traveling through town, and his, he was a, a, an advisor. So he proposed that he would be able to help everybody no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what martial arts you teach, he will help your school triple and quadruple its, its money within a year. Oof. Just come to his seminar. Now, you know, I was working full-time and teaching full-time and, you know, I, I ended up dropping out of college because it was just too much in that, in that time. But we scraped together 500 bucks to take this seminar. And he's telling us, you open it in the worst part of town, you charge more money than everybody else. You have a membership agreement, which is a contract. Yeah. And, you know, you have it, you have it automatically taken out of their account. And he just went on and on and on about all these things he was suggesting you do. And he and I looked at each other like, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to let us take money out of their account. Yeah. He's going to buy a year membership 
quote unquote contract. As soon as you say the word contract, they're like, oh no, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to do it. Right. But you know what? It worked. Ah. We did charge just a little bit more than everybody else in town, even though we were in the worst part of town. We had gang members walking in, drunks walking in, people who are addicted to whatever, jonesing for their next fix, walking in. And, you know, how do you sift the, those people? Those people were coming in wanting to pick fights and walking in saying, who's your best fighter here? I want to kick their ass. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was. But the really cool thing was everything that we implemented within that year he, they, the guy who proposed that was correct, that we did triple our money. We did triple our student base. And we had tons and tons of students coming in. And we had a huge children's program. Um, we had beginning classes, intermediate classes, because we had enough people to do that. And it, he fell in love with the money. And I fell in love with teaching. Yeah. So it didn't... Um, Eventually, we moved out of that location and into a slightly bigger one. And then while we were in that location, we took over the next, the next door and so cut, cut open a big wall and, and a big part of the wall um, and expanded from there. And it was, uh, it, it was a very interesting experience in that um, the guy I opened the school with, he you know, we were together when we opened the school and he just, at some point I was challenged by this girl to do point fighting, to fight against her in point fighting. And I was like, you know, I don't do point fighting. I can stick my fingers knuckle deep in your eye and I'll hit you in the windpipe and I'll stomp on your knee. <laughs> That's how I fight. Uh. I, don't, I don't, I'm sorry, in my mind at that time, I just thought point fighting was a glorified game of tag. And if it didn't, I felt it didn't teach you good habits, meaning following through on your strike, actually hitting the target as opposed to focus contact, as they call it. Now, since then, of course, um, I've watched uh, lots and lots of point sparring now, now where, well, not now, but later, when they were actually making contact and scoring points and but as soon as uh, the, what bothered me a lot was that as soon as you make contact and you hit somebody and you scored you had to stop yeah so anyway um she kept challenging me to have this point fighting match with her and i kept i kept saying no nah, i don't do that you want to step outside and fight we can do that oh <laughs> Well, she she never accepted. Yeah. Um, one day, her martial arts instructor called my martial arts instructor slash boyfriend slash whatever um, and asked if I'd be willing to do an exhibition kickboxing bout with her. Uh oh, here we go. And I said, well, OK, I've, I'm not too familiar with kickboxing, but I'm, I've done you know a little bit of boxing. And he, they said, well, you get to, you get to box and throw kicks at them. And I thought, and I asked, I said, so how hard are you allowed to hit them? And they said, as hard as you want. And I said, sign me up. Let's do it. Okay. There you go. I thought if I can hit her as hard as I want to, I'm in, let's do it. She weighed 190 pounds. I weighed 120. 
Oh boy. Yeah, it's not 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 very even even weight weight class there, but um, it was deemed an exhibition. You know, they asked, "Would you be willing to do an exhibition?" Because yeah. they knew I didn't know anything about kickboxing, and I said, "Well, how long do I have?" They said, 10 days. Ten days to learn how to kickbox." Oh. And fight with my girl has been doing it for two years, and I thought, okay. <laughs> What the heck, right? So yeah. boxing gym, learned how to throw good basic boxing punches. 10 days later, <laughs> I'm having this fight with her and Peter Cunningham, I don't know if you know who that is, but Peter Cunningham was the referee. Oh. Yeah, and I remember very clearly being scared half out of my wits. And there was so much adrenaline pumping through me and I, I, you know, I didn't feel anything. Um, she'd hit me and I, I would barely, barely, barely feel it, barely, even though she was hitting me hard. And I remember being so scared that when the bell rang to go sit down in your corner, I'm standing up there in the middle of the ring and I'm saying, come on, what are you doing? Sitting down. What are you breathing heavy? Are you scared of me? Come on, let's go. Let's just keep going. Forget the bell. We don't need a rest. And I'm just <laughs> egging her on and egging her on. Meanwhile, I'm scared to death. Um, and I realized that I'm the kind of person that when I'm really scared, I'll hit you harder and, and, and faster than, than I normally would. Um, like the more afraid I was, the faster and harder I would hit her uh, because I just didn't want to get beat up. And, you know, I wasn't too familiar with the rules. I remember one time I, I actually got her in a headlock at some point and I'm doing uppercuts to her face. <laughs> I'm hitting her <laughs> Peter Cunningham runs up to me. No, 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 you can't do that. And I said, oh, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> I just said, it's good. I've got her in a headlock. I'm going to hit her. Um, but the funniest part about that whole event was that after the fight, the uh, announcer gets in the ring and he says, ladies and gentlemen, give the ladies a hand. That was a great, that was a great fight. We're tallying up the scores right now. And I looked at Eric my trainer and boyfriend and I and he looked at me and then he walked over to the announcer put his arm over his shoulder and he goes hey buddy this is supposed to be an exhibition so I tell you what if you announce a winner I'm going to break your arm right here and right now <laughs> because her school put on the event it was her school that had the judges everything was her school everything was from her school so mm -hmm. you knew what was going to happen right yeah whether whether I won or didn't didn't win, whether I won or she won, it wouldn't have mattered. What mattered was that it was an exhibition. I only had ten days to learn how, and there was no way a winner was supposed to be announced because it's an exhibition. Oh man, I can I I'm pretty much everything you're saying. I'm pretty much picturing the fight right now. I'm picturing you in the ring in the middle, just like calling the person out. It's just like this is just amazing, and and uh, pretty much your exhibition would lead to you going into kickboxing like you actually did it as a career yeah right? yeah yeah it did you know i i kind of did everything backwards i had my first fight after 10 days i only had a small handful of amateur fights and then i turned pro and when i turned pro i lied to the promoter and i said i was six and oh as a professional oh. and i was oh and oh and the girl i was fighting against her name was pixie elmore and Pixie Elmore was 18 and two when I was having my first pro fight. 
and I'd only had a handful of amateur fights. Mm. I really, you know, <laughs> like I said, I did everything backwards. Yeah. Um, we fought to a draw. I remember um, I learned a very important lesson. Always, always, always keep your eye on your opponent because at one point in, in the, when the bell rang to start the round, there was water on the mat right in front of me. And I realized I was standing in some of it. So I, I was wiping my foot off so that I could, you know, make sure I didn't, I wasn't slipping, right? I was looking down, wiping my foot and the bell had rang, the bell rang to start the round. I, I should not have been looking down at the ground. So she ran over the ring, boom, hits me. I mean, decks me hard. Oof. And she didn't knock me out. She just knocked me down. Oh. And I jumped up and I'm running at her and the referee's grabbing me. Now he's giving me a standing eight count. I said, what the hell are you doing? I'm not hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, she knocked you down. <laughs> And I said, so I'm not hurt. No, I'm mad. <laughs> we all, yeah, I was furious. Yeah. Oh <laughs> you know, I was more mad at myself. I wasn't mad at her, really. Oh. I mean, I was mad at her for running across the room and hitting me while I'm looking down. But she had every right to do that. Every right to do yeah. that. Because I'm looking down. It's like, I was a dumbass. Pardon my language. But yeah. <laughs> learned a very important lesson. And, you know, I, that whole round, I kept running in and she hit me and I'd run in and she'd hit me and I'd run in. And then when the round finally ended, I sat down in my corner and my coach looked at me, which is my, which is Eric. And he says, stop running in, stop. Every time you run in, she hits you. So he pulled me out of it. He pulled me out of that, you know, that bullheaded rage. And, um, now, I fought a lot smarter after that, but still, you know, in that respect, she had a ton more experience. She was beautiful at, at dirty boxing. She'd find a way to hold and hit and bump me with her shoulder and, you know, do all kinds of cool, th cool things. At the time, I look back at it, it was really, you know, she's very clever. But at the time, it was, you know, ultimately, it was cheating. Yeah. It didn't matter. What mattered was that we fought to a draw and... <laughs> There you go. My first yeah. And then, of course, you will have like more fights, and then it leads to your like your first song, the title match. So, what what was your like first title win? That was in Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. Oh, and it was um, the promoter um, whose name I'm is, I'm forgetting at the moment. I'm sure it'll come. Oh, Joe Koffenberg, sorry. Oh, Joe Koffenberg um, was a, a, a local in Las Vegas. He had a ton of money and he just loved celebrities of any kind, whether they were sports celebrities or, you know, movie celebrities or, you know, people who are anchors on the news or whatever. He didn't care. <laughs> if you were on the television a lot, if you were a celebrity of any kind, he just loved loved throwing events and, and showing everybody off. And he um, somehow my my trainer got the word that they were looking for uh, two women to fight for a, a vacant world title at uh, at one twenty four. It's like, and and we got called. So it was between me and and uh, a girl from Florida. And the, 
Was she from Florida? Yeah. Bonnie Canino was from Florida. I take that back. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking, wait a minute, which, which state was she from? Yeah, it was Florida. Now, I lived in Bakersfield at the time that I was training. And Bakersfield is a lot like Vegas in that, you know, it's 110, 115, dry and you know, it's super cold in the winter and blistering hot the rest of the year. Yeah, I'll take that. I like the heat. I like the heat. Good. I hate yeah. the heat. I'm done with it. <laughs> yeah, I get I get a lot of energy when it's hot. Yeah, definitely. I can understand that because your joints don't hurt and you warm up quickly. And I, I totally understand why people love training in the heat. But I, I've almost died twice from from heat stroke. Yeah. And I've just had enough of the heat. <laughs> I'm, although I have to say that in Washington State, we actually have four seasons as opposed to in Bakersfield, for example, it was two seasons, winter, bone chilling cold or blistering hot and nothing in between was sad. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love the four seasons. Super yeah. great for Washington. Yeah. So first world title fight. Um. I am, before we went to Vegas, because contractually I wanted to be there 10 days before to acclimate to whatever I needed to acclimate to. In this case, not much, because I came from one blistering hot place to going to another blistering hot place. So to me, it was all the same. Um, but she came from Florida, so that was a lot harder for her to get used to and adjust to. Um, a couple of weeks, about a week before we left to go to Vegas, I was sparring with a uh, round robining with a bunch of guys. And all my sparring partners were men, all of them. I, I didn't have any women to spar with because there weren't that many women in Bakersfield. And for two, uh, it, they made me a lot better than I ever could be without them. So I'm very grateful from all my sparring partners because they beat the crap out of me and they taught me a lot, an awful yeah. lot. Yeah. But um, this one guy, uh, his name was Danny, Danny Steele. And Danny Steele was a short stout, about 145 pounds and just a little bundle of muscle, you know, just this short stout, super strong guy. And I was sparring with him. He threw a spinning back kick and hit my ribs in the front. Oof. It broke in the back. Oof. The compression was so hard that, yeah, I don't know why they didn't break in the front, but I guess the compression was hard enough to break them in the back. And um, at first, because you know I'm sparring, I don't I don't really feel much when I'm sparring. I didn't I didn't notice it, um, and we just kept sparring. Then finally, the whole the evening was done. Everybody's packing up their gear. And I'm rolling up my hand wraps. And every time I stop and roll up my hand wraps, that's my time to reflect on, you know, what I did well, what I didn't do well, what I need to improve on. I just get to stop and remember, you know, the different sparring sessions that I've had and, and how I need to improve on or what I need to improve on. And while I'm wrapping my hands, I feel my ribs starting to hurt. I'm starting, I, I realize I can't breathe. Uh. And I just thought, oh my God. Did I break my ribs? <laughs> <laughs> and I got up and I went to <clears throat> went to my coach, Eric, and, and I said, hey, I, I'm, I, I'm having a really hard time breathing. 
He goes, well, if, it's, if it hurts that bad, then go to the store and get a rib brace or something. Yeah, he was very compassionate. Yeah. Not really. Um, so I grabbed my keys, I grabbed my wallet, I walked out the door, got in my car, drove to the <laughs> drugstore and bought a rib brace and came back. And by the time I came back, I could barely walk. I couldn't uh. breathe. I couldn't move. And he walked in, he saw the look on my face. And he goes, oh my God, did you break your ribs? And I said, I think they are. <laughs> he's, he's like running around. What are we going to do? You got to, we got to leave in a week. We only have, you, we don't, you don't even have three weeks <coughs> before your fight. What are we going to do? So we're going to fight anyway. Oh. I'm not going to pass up an opportunity for a world title especially the first one. Mm. So we get there and Joe Koffenberg, God bless his soul. He has um, open training set up so that the whole 10 days that you're there, you're supposed to be jumping rope, hitting the bag, doing spark, doing light mitt work and stuff like that. So everybody can see because in Las Vegas, everyone's going to want to rate you. They're going to want to rate you and they're going to bet on you. Right? Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. The whole time I'm there, I can barely walk. <laughs> I, I keep my rib brace on. I'm wearing like three or four t-shirts. I'm sweating like a pig. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm barely moving. And I'm supposed to be there shadow boxing, hitting the bag, hitting the mids, running. Oh, it was, it was horrible. And yeah. I, I tried to be, I just couldn't move. I really couldn't because they were broken. And I, I thought, all right, well, for whatever reason, I'm just going to go ahead and let them think that I, you know, I'm I'm deliberately not training so that um, my there's no spies and I, that that word just kind of leaked out. Well, you know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to train in secret because I don't want any spies watching me train. Um, and that was my story, and I stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, day of the fight. I am so grateful. I'm one of those fighters that feels nothing during a fight, nothing. So while we're fighting, the only difference I noticed was that I had a little bit harder time breathing and that was it. As far as my energy, it was good. I started warming up around, around, this was a 12 round fight. So I started feeling, you know, active in myself and I started feeling really good around around six or seven and I started warming up and I noticed that she was starting to fade because she wasn't used to fighting 12 rounds. I wasn't either, but at the same time, you know, when you're sparring with men who are bigger, stronger, more experienced than you, and you're sparring 14, 15, 16 rounds with no breaks other than, you know, the 45 second you got in between rounds or sometimes 30 seconds, sometimes less. Yeah. <laughs> um, my conditioning was pristine and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I remember so much that she kept complaining that I was holding and, uh, and hitting and the referee would, has, would try to take points away from me, even though I wasn't holding at all. And I'm thinking, you need to look at the tapes, buddy, because I'm not. But for whatever reason, um, the referee had it out for me. It was, she was very, she was a southpaw and I'm left-handed but I fight right-handed. So uh, my left hand is a good jab and I've got good hooks. I have a decent, a really decent right hand as well. Um, 
and I, I forced myself to make sure that my kicks were even. I had just as much flexibility and power and stamina in my right leg as I did my left leg. Because uh, <clears throat> that was something my coach made sure that, you know, if I favored one hand or one leg, he forced me to work everything equally so that everything was equal. I had an equal amount of power in every, in every strike and every limb. Tell you what, though, she uh, headbutted me I don't know how many times, and she was clumsy and awkward. And I, I had a, you know, it's 12 rounds, so I had a rough time. But when the round was over, in my mind, I'm thinking, ah, you know, chances are good I lost that one. That was going through my mind. And I was like, okay, I accept that. You know, in my mind, I was going, I can accept that, you know, because yeah. I tried my best and, you know, I felt awkward and clumsy because she was awkward and clumsy. <laughs> and when they announced me the winner, I was blown away, completely blown away. I was crying. Yeah. Amazing feeling. You yeah. know, I struggled and it was so hard. And, you know, trying to fight with broken ribs. And as soon as <laughs> I had another world title fight scheduled up in Lake Tahoe, 45 days later. Oof. Yeah. And in the state of Nevada, you cannot have world title fights any closer than like if you, oh, no, I'm sorry. I had, I had one scheduled 30 days later. Well, you have to wait 45 days in between title fights in the state of Nevada, according to the state athletic commission. Mm. And the only way that they would allow you to fight sooner than 45 days was the doctor had to come and check you out and make sure that you were okay. <laughs> so the fight's over, right? I go yep. to my trailer and I'm changing my clothes. And I tell, I tell my, uh, some of my friends who were there, I said, hey, keep an eye out for the doctor because I know he's going to come in and check. And, you know, I'm, I'm holding my rib and I'm leaning over to the side and I can barely breathe. And, you know, all the pain is sinking right back in. <laughs> and I don't know that I rebroke my ribs, but I do know that I was in intense pain and I could barely breathe. And, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of hunched over like this, you know, just trying to trying to recover. And somebody goes, hey, the dog's coming. So he walks in the door and I sit up. He goes, how you doing? I said, I feel great. And I'm here slapping my ribs. I feel good, Doc. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay, great. So let me, let, me, let me look at your hands. He looked at my hands. He goes, okay. I had a little bit of bruising from the headbutting. He goes, yeah, is that okay? That hurt? I said, no, that doesn't hurt. Looked at my eyes, checked my blood. I mean, my blood pressure, checked my heart. And he goes, ah, you seem fine to me. Okay, you're cleared to fight next month. <laughs> That's nice. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. <laughs> he walks out the door and I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me, uh, with this story, it kind of reminds me of my second degree black belt test. And like before the test, I ended up having like sciatica. And then, oh, of course, oh. well, yeah, so no, I got that taken care of. And then, of course, um, I think like either a couple days before the test, I cracked my ribs. I was doing, I was doing like, like, I was going over my one steps. And of course, I think I landed improperly. I didn't break my ribs. I just cracked my ribs. So luckily, I could still breathe, but I had to like wear like a, a rib brace, like you said, or even it's like one of those um, waist slimmers. Yes. Yeah. Anything like that'll do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was pretty much fine throughout the whole test, but the one part of the test I was worried about was sparring. 
Uh, ah. Yeah. I was like hoping I wasn't get kicked in the ribs. So, so I almost did, but I didn't. So I kind of blocked it, but, but you know, it kind of made a light contact, but it wasn't yeah. intense. Yeah. So I was like trying to be careful with my ribs. Did your instructor know that your ribs were broken? Yeah, I, I was telling them, I mean, well, they were cracked because they weren't broken because I, I could still breathe. Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah. <laughs> you know, I right before my black belt test in Aikido, I sprained my ankle. I was on this little kid's mini bike and we were out in the, you know, out in the field and uh, it started to take a turn and I it, it turned sharply to the right and I slammed my foot down to keep myself from falling. Totally messed up my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> and then two days later, I have to test for my black belt. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. So mostly Aikido, is that mostly throwing or does it have any like basic katas in the style? It depends on what style of Aikido you take. Um, but we had, um, what we did was called Rondori, where you uh, somebody punches at you and you're, you're able to uh, leverage them to the ground and flip them and things like that. You know, it's it a lot of fun. At the time, you know, I felt that it was not nearly as effective as Kung Fu Sansu because in Kung Fu Sansu, we do stick our fingers knuckle deep in somebody's eye and we hit them in the windpipe, crush their testicles, stomp on their knee, break their elbows. And we do things that actually really do work in a fight and last, a fight should last no more than a few seconds as opposed to. Mm-hmm. A minute or two minutes because yeah. you know the longer the fight goes the more chance you have of of losing i mean it's it's all there's always that chance there's always a possibility and you know if you don't take it seriously in that respect um i've watched because i used to bounce in a bar for about two and a half years when i was living in bakersfield and i was the lead bouncer there and i i watched all kinds of fights I broke up lots of fights. I I had to hit people and and then drag them out the door um, because they were being buttheads and yeah. they tried to hurt me. And it was just one of those things where you know I learned an awful lot about what works and what doesn't work in a fight. Yeah, you're talking about very drunk people, delayed pain reaction. Uh, they're gorilla strong because they're drunk yeah yeah i think um you you heard of um gene labelle right oh well of course everybody learns yeah of course um of course he's known up. yeah because <laughs> i know my um my instructor always tells stories about um him i don't think he met him but i mean he knows um yeah actually he did met him he said he met him at a convention he he had like a line of people lined up for to get knocked out by him or like get choked out from because he's very known for about that Oh my God! Thank God, never. I mean, the whole time I'm training at this gym with Gokord as the instructor. He's the main. That's Gokord School. Gene was there, and every single day, I would talk to Gene, and we'd hang out, and we. He would show me a few things here and there, but he never choked me out. And I, I don't know why he'd never choked me out, but I'm so grateful. Because everybody talks about how wickedly strong and nasty his chokes are. uh, You know, I was living in fear every time I was near him. It's like, uh, is he going to reach over and just, (laughs) right? (laughs) It was fun, though. Super nice. (laughs) 
Oh, Hunter, it's okay. No, no. Mine, sorry, my German Shepherd. <laughs> no. Uh. Come say hi, Rusty. Real quick, come say hi. I think you know this person. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> hi, DJ. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess yeah, guess appearance of Receive Bezos. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just got home from a long day of like teaching. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys are having a great uh, discussion. I'll uh, leave you guys to that <laughs> and I'll quiet the dog. <laughs> Bye. He needs right. dinner. Okay, I'll get him dinner. Okay. Hey. hey. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that was our commercial break for a bit. So now we're back to our normal scheduling. <laughs> uh, all right. So, of course, uh, you had your um, title um, win. And then, of course, you had more title fights. And then you go on to getting more title wins. All right. Let's kind of get to your um, movie appearance. Yeah. So I understand that you were like the stunt woman for um, Catwoman and um, the Batman Returns, right? Yes. Ah. <laughs> Okay, you can go ahead. It's all right. here. Can we take one second? Because she's gonna wash his his dinner bowl. <laughs> all so, right. All right. Commercial break. Commercial break. Yeah. Commercial break. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Not professional, but I don't want to like you know. Thank God for editing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, just a little comedy spot. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to like interrupt in the middle and then like, yeah, but I'm interrupting. Okay, now. so what's red and green? It goes 100 miles an hour. Pardon me? What's red and green? It goes red and green and goes 100 miles an hour. Hmm, how oh, you got me? Well, there's two answers. Frog One, in a blender. She says frog in a blender. Frog in a we're all gonna blender. <laughs> Never heard that one. <laughs> or it could be Kermit the Frog driving a red Ferrari. Oh, I, don't, I never heard oh. that. <laughs> Kidding. It's typically it's frog in a blender, but you know. Frog in a blender. <laughs> <laughs> all right, commercial breaks over. Oh yep, back to our normal schedule again. <laughs> All right, let's go with your involvement when um, Batman Returns. Of course, you were playing the stunt woman for, um, for Catwoman, right? Yeah, but um, it's funny. I I was uh, still competing in kickboxing when I when I got that position, um, and Benny the Jet Yukitas had his stunt team with the first Batman return, with the first Batman movie with that Tim Burton was directing. Yep. So on the second one, his whole team got invited back and he called me and said, hey, uh, I understand that they're looking for a fight double for Michelle Pfeiffer and I think you should audition. And I will, I will reach out to the stunt coordinator, which is Max Clevens. And he said, I will set you up with a meeting. I said, okay, sure. So I drove from Bakersfield all the way to, what did I fly? No, I flew, take that back. So anyway, uh, flew and, and I had a car because uh, I had friends who lived in the area. Um, 
And I remember uh, going driving into Warner Brothers. Well, first let me back up. I was in the in the airport in Burbank, and there was a gift shop. And at the gift shop, you know, I just I was just strolling through, and I looked in and I thought oh, I saw these cool mugs, coffee mugs. And what caught my eye was a coffee mug that was all white with a black cat on it. And the black cat was all hunched up and really angry looking. The fur was going everywhere and it was really mad. And it had, you know, red eyes. The caption beneath the cat read, piss me off and you will suffer the consequences. <laughs> I grabbed the mug. I looked at it and went, this is perfect. I got to give this to Michelle if I get it, right? So anyway, long story short, um, back to the audition. I, I get to Warner Brothers and um, I walk in, I, I drive into the gate, I park in, park in a parking lot and they gave me this, this little map with a, a drawing and, and said, here you go. And, and I had no idea where I was going. I was totally lost. And I'm, I'm walking along, looking at buildings and looking at numbers and looking at the map and going, you know, I just, I was just, I had no idea where I was going. <laughs> so I see this younger man and he's got um, like straggly shoulder length hair and he's wearing a, a wife beater tank top with a button up shirt over it that had, uh, it was white with skulls all over it, you know, skulls drawn on it. Yep. And... I came up to him and I said, excuse me, sir, I, I'm, I'm a little lost. I'm trying to find this building. Do you think you can help me find it? And he goes, oh, let me see. So he looked at the map. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know right where this is. I'll walk you over there. So he says, we're walking over there. And I, I thanked him probably 50 times. <laughs> and he's saying, um, so what are you here for? And I said, well, I'm going to go talk to uh, the stunt coordinator for this movie and see if I can... Uh, do the choreography for for the movie and or the and he goes oh okay that's fantastic because i really was still very shy didn't know what to say and he walked me up to the building and he goes it's upstairs first door on your right and i said wow thank you so much i really appreciate it and i trotted upstairs now this is while i was still competing and i was weighing 124 pounds and was a five percent body fat and i was shredded and i was wearing tank top and shorts so i walk in and Max Clevens looks over at me and he goes, oh, my God, not another fat chick. Can you just go lift a weight or something and come back? I just laughed. <laughs> and he laughed. Yeah. And, he, and I said, so I guess all the Oreos I've been eating are finally showing. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. He goes, all right, kid, what do you got? And I walked over and I handed him a VHS tape. I said, I have a tape of one of my fights. That's all I had. <laughs> and he says, all right. So he puts it in the player and he's playing and he's watching the fights and the phone rings. And while the, he picks up the phone, he goes, yeah. Oh yeah, of course I can do that. Sure. No problem. And he hangs up the phone. He goes, all right, kid, go downstairs and uh, show me what you can do. So I went downstairs in the grassy area and I'm shadow boxing and punching and kicking and elbowing and kneeing and, you know, doing a little bit of Kung Fu in the air and stuff like that. And he goes, all right, kid, come on back up. 
So as I, I run upstairs and say, okay, so I want you back here Wednesday. There's going to be a wardrobe fitting. We got to make sure you meet Michelle and, and we're going to work out a schedule. And, and I said, I'm sorry, what? He goes, you got the job, kid. <laughs> Just like that. But the guy who gave me the directions um, had, was out there waiting and watching. And what I didn't know was that person was Tim Burton. Oh. Yeah. And I guess he, you know, was a little taken by the fact that I had no clue who he was. Zero. And I mean, I didn't even know until I came back to work with Michelle. Right. Yep. So anyway. Um, I had a fight scheduled in Lake Tahoe on Showtime. Like baby, basically, uh, I think three weeks after my audition. And I, you know, I went to the production company and I said, look, I've got this fight. I think it was two weeks after the audition. And I said, look, I've got this fight. Um, it's on Showtime. It's not a title fight or anything like that. But uh, I, I do have to be in Lake Tahoe 10 days before so I can acclimate to the altitude, over 10,000 feet elevation. And I said, but when I'm done with the fight, I promise you'll have my full attention and I'll be there any day you want me to be there and I'll do anything you need. And they said, well, okay, no problem. Mm. We can do that. Yeah. So I go to Lake Tahoe and I think four or five, maybe seven days have passed and I've got three days before the fight and I get a phone call from Warner Brothers and I said, hi, how's everything going? And they said, it's great. And Michelle wants to work with you tomorrow. So can you be here at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow? Oh. Like, uh, tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They said, yeah, yeah, they want to, she wants to work with you. And I said, um, okay. So I hung up the phone and I went to my coach and my team and, uh, we went to the production crew and we told them what was going on and everybody was so kind. They all scraped together a bunch of money to get me a flight back to Burbank, back to Warner Brothers. I mean, literally the next day. So, uh, I mean, obviously back then it was fairly inexpensive. So I remembered that mug and I thought, okay, I'm going to bring that mug and I walk up you know, I have the mug with me when I get to Warner Brothers. And this time, you know, I had somebody show me where to go and how to get there. <laughs> I was not about to be late. It's like, you cannot do that. Cannot, you never have a second chance for a good first impression. Never. Yep. Right. So on that note, um, I had somebody show me how to get there. I had a bag uh, of training gear, focus mitts, stuff like that. And I had the mug in my other hand and I walk up to the door set the bag down I'm about to knock on the door when I hear Michelle Pfeiffer or I think it's her chewing somebody out royally on the oh. phone and I thought uh oh <laughs> uh awkward what do I do <laughs> do I knock on the door anyway do I wait till there's a break in the conversation I had no clue what to do and I'm just thinking uh crap this is not good um, but I've got to work with her. So I decided to wait until there was a break in the conversation. But, you know, it was on her end. You know, I wait till she stopped talking for a second. 
And when I heard that, I heard the silence for a moment. I knocked on the door really fast. And she goes, oh, um, that's probably my trainer. I got to go. And she hangs up the phone. <laughs> and she walks to the door, which is slightly ajar. She opens the door and she looked at me and she goes, oh, my God, how much did you hear? <laughs> I, it must have been the look on my face. I said, uh, enough to know that somebody really screwed you over and I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had the coffee mug in my hand and I said, I, I got you something. <laughs> <laughs> and she grabbed the mug and she looked at it. And she goes, oh, oh my God, it's perfect. She said it just like that. I love it. And that broke the ice right then and there, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Nice. And from there, we had a great training session. I just did basically did an assessment to see what her what her athleticism was, you know, because I needed to see what she could do and what she can't do. Yep. And according to what she could do, all her abilities, I choreographed every fight scene according to her abilities to make sure that she shined and that she could do everything. Which is, you know, I, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. So I'm, of course, she didn't do the black backflips because I know some. She was doing those some um, in the movies, so that had no, been a, a woman named Trish Peters did the backflips. Okay, backhand, it was back handsprings. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But um, I did the stunts and uh, the fight scenes, which was a blast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I pretty much gotta watch that movie again. I mean, I, at least I got HBO's HBO Max, so I'd be able to watch some um, um, Batman Returns. Yeah. There were many scenes where um, I had to wear, in case my face might have been seen, I had to wear uh, a prosthetic nose because her nose was bigger than mine. So they made a mold of her nose. And every day that I'd be on the set, I had to put a, uh, her nose on and they had to put makeup on and everything else. So it was really, 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 really cool. And, you know, after I had trained her and did an assessment with her, and then I flew back to Tahoe and I had my fight, and then I come back and you know, then we start <clears throat> real training and and choreographing and you know, watching the soundstage in Warner Brothers start from a completely gigantic empty room, and it wasn't a room; it was like a like five or six giant buildings all in one building, right? So if you can imagine walking in and it's completely empty, and then I don't know how many months later, there's a full working city inside that soundstage. Oh. It was just incredible the way they worked, how well they worked, how fast they worked. Um, we had, you know, plumbers there, steel workers there, you know, uh, construction guys doing every aspect of house building and facade building and everything else. It was that part to me was just unbelievable because I'm an artist and I love, you know, drawing and, and painting. Yep. Hunter, no, I can't <laughs> see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I pretty much know how like, art, like drawing is. I used to draw too. So um, of course, nice. I, yeah, I went to school with, for um, like fine arts. So yeah. So at least I got, wow. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't drawn for a while because, you know, I got busy. So, but, you know, I like to get back into it. Yeah. You know, me too. I haven't drawn in ages and I really miss it. I miss yeah. it. Yeah. 
I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So after you do your um movie with um your stunt coordinator with Batman and it kind of led you to, into other movies, right? Mostly like they call them B movies, mostly. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I worked on I worked on Natural Born Killers. Um, I worked on Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. I worked on <laughs> Death Becomes Her. And Meryl Streep is somebody who, if you never Hunter. Really? <laughs> yeah, has a good name, Hunter. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name until he's barking while you're doing an interview. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's demanding that I give him a treat because he's <laughs> <didn't do it. clears throat> Yeah. All right. So what was I saying? Yeah, you were talking about like your like oh, movies, like yeah. Right. The other films that I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've worked on super high budget films and super low budget films and, you know, film work just alone, doing film work is phenomenal. Uh, the the politics involved, the ass kissing, pardon my language, yep. is not something I'm wired for. Yep. Uh, I don't, I don't kiss ass well. I just yeah, don't. Me neither. <laughs> I, I would rather just get up in the morning, look at myself and enjoy who I see and, and know that I've lived with integrity. Um, and, you know, I also know that there, there were several times when there were opportunities, you know, that casting couch they talk about is alive and well and real. Um, not my, not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather go my own path. I mean, not just a, sign a contract and expect me to do something I don't want to do. I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, that's why I don't like to go to in the majors when it comes to pro wrestling, you know, I want to at least, at least try to pick the territories or the promotions that I want to work with. I mean, of course I wouldn't mind getting like an opportunity to like wrestle one match in the majors, but just, um, I just want to go my own path. I mean, almost like having my own product. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I got into boxing. Um, I've competed in all the major uh, contact sports, MMA, Muay Thai, kickboxing, and boxing. Um, and in boxing, the politics are unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. I, you know, top rank boxing, you know, the, the, the promotion top rank. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to sign on with them and there was one particular uh, promoter, I guess, for lack of a better term, who was telling me that he was going to groom my career. And I said, okay, what do you mean by groom my career? Because I was training with Pedal Whitaker and I was you know, doing a lot of training with them and, and learning a lot more about the ins and outs and the subtleties of boxing, which there are plenty of. Um, but what they were saying, what they proposed was that they would find opponents for me that had been training for six months, eight months, a year at the most. And I would, they would encourage me to knock them out in a dynamic fashion and build my name that way. <laughs> I just said, they have setups. Wow. You have no idea how hard I worked to get to be a five-time world kickboxing champion, you know, and they, I, I said, you may think that boxing is a better sport, is a, is a more, 
scientific sport, but it's still it's still pugilism. And if you understand footwork and timing and range and setups and everything else, if you understand all that, it doesn't matter if you're a boxer, a kickboxer, MMA fighter, Muay Thai fighter, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you understand the rules, you understand the subtleties, you understand the ins and outs. Um, I am not. I just I looked at him and I said, are you serious? Why don't you just give me, um, oh, what was her name? Coal miner's daughter. Uh, what was her name? Don King was promoting her for a while. Chrissy Martin. So I said, well, just give me Chrissy Martin and let's let's just duke it out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, they they said, well, first off, you know, we have nothing to do with her. But so I went to Don King and I said, you know, I, I had a meeting with him. And I just said, look, you know, um, your girl's a champion. I'm a champion. Let's just have a, you know, a super bout. And, you know, we'll, we'll plug it for a good months, five, six months. We'll get a good hate relationship with each other. And, you know, I said, we'll, we'll promote it really big. And then we'll actually have this fight. And he totally refused, completely and utterly refused. He said, nope. <laughs> it was sad because, you know, it, we could have made a ton of money and it would have helped elevate women's boxing. But in top rank, you know, they were they were insisting that they build my career that way. And there was no other way that they were willing to work with me. And I said, see you later. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just something to ruin your reputation. I mean, you build your reputation by being tough, but you know, you get set up with um a promotion or should I say uh, yeah, like top what'd you say, top ring or something where top rank top rank and then of course they said they're going to give you setups for you to knock out knowing that they're not best fighters eh. can you imagine i mean somebody who's been training or or fighting for maybe six months a year as a pro really i mean that's just so grossly unfair i i couldn't yeah. be doing that i mean i did it i i was i was that one who you know i was oh no as a pro and i fight a girl who's 18 and two but I had, that was my choice. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it backwards. You know, I, yeah. I never, I never pumped up my career or my, my record by, by beating up people who had just started. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So before we kind of get to our hidden dojo um, segment of the um, interview, here's the last question. I know this kind of goes into what you're doing now with um, the dy dynamic um, dojo talk. So what was your inspiration on getting to do that, that whole show? My inspiration? Yeah. Well, um, when Rusty started the show, she had a partner who was running it with her. Um, and uh, his name is Bob and Bob Deal. And I, um, I didn't know anything about the show until, you know, uh, I think they've been running it for, I Forgive me, I don't remember how many years, eight, nine, ten years at this point, I'm not sure, uh, but a good while. And I never had a desire to be on the show or to, to be a co-host on the show, um, but I was invited onto the show as a guest. And the more I got to know Rusty, uh, 
she offered to bring me on as a having a small segment where I would there would be a question and answer you know uh, ask you know this Kathy Long if you know any question you want to ask about training about fighting about whatever um, and then there was a time when uh, there was a, a change in the show and um, Bob Deal stepped down and, and that's when Rusty asked me if I'd be willing to, to co-host with her. So it's not something I ever, I ever wanted to do. Like I said, I, I'm still innately shy, but I've learned over the years how to talk to people. Um, through teaching and waiting tables and everything else that you, you had to do, you have to talk to people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know feeling because this is what this is the reason why I have this podcast. You know, I'm known not to I'm be shy, not talking to people, and then of course, you know, martial arts. I kind of built off uh, trying to be an instructor. You know, I'm I'm definitely really enthusiastic when it comes to teaching. You know, I just want to see those kids like really do a good technique or just even grow up to be almost like where I'm at, like be successful. So yeah, it's teaching children, especially um, it's more than just punching and kicking. It's learning about values and, and trust and taking care. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on of all the things that you learn in a martial arts school, which, you know, ideally needs to be learned at home, but oftentimes it isn't. Yeah, definitely. Like usually, I should say everything that you like learn out there should start at home. And you know that's kind of almost like a lack when I when most kids are like when it come to my class and like they're not getting that um, discipline at home to be able to um, handle themselves at any place else. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They they need to learn that you know they they cannot be hoodlums anywhere anytime they want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we pretty much are at our hitting the dojo segment. So this is like a serial question. We're gonna have fun with this one. So I'm gonna ask you like a couple of questions. I'm gonna make sure you can ask them, answer them at the best of your ability. All right. So the first question is best advice test you ever gotten, and who said it? Richard Bastille, before he passed, was at one of my amateur fights, and. Um, I lost the decision on that fight and he walked up to me and he goes you know what listen carefully just because you lost the decision doesn't mean you lost the fight you need to know that you were a better fighter that day but the judges saw what they saw but you didn't get the decision but you did not you definitely did not lose the fight and I just, just, in that respect, I mean, he, he went out of his way to come up to me who, and I didn't even know him. You know, I, I was not a five-time world champion at that time. I had, you know, I had a few amateur fights and that's it. So for him to come up to me and say that to me, it was just, I thought it was very gracious and kind of him. And then much later I learned out who he was. And, and uh, years later, after I did win all my world titles, I, um, visited him several times and and got to hit uh Bruce Lee's heavy bag 500 pound heavy bag it was a blast yeah. yeah but um 
you know, that segues into uh, a lot of life in that if you are, I mean, everybody's their own, your own worst critic, right? If the, if the self-talk inside is destructive and cruel and mean, then you're not going to be a happy person. Um, you know, the most important thing is to be forgiving of yourself and know that you are human. You, you, there are days when you just don't really want to try and you don't really care. And there are days when you do want to try and you do really care. But, you know, it's just every day you try to do as best you can you know, with what you have and what you're doing and what you have, what's going on, depending on everybody's situation. Uh, I, I Just recently, well, go ahead. Uh, we'll just say that was the advice that was given me that day. Yeah. So, yeah, nobody's undefeated, right? Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather Jr., I don't believe, has ever lost a fight. Oh, yeah, that's true. At least. <laughs> and he has retired undefeated. He's retired a couple times now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> retired undefeated. Yeah. Or maybe I should rephrase that. Some people are not undefeated. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Put maybe. it that way. Yeah. All right. All right. The worst advice you ever gotten. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I used yeah. to get, I used to get people with this one. Yeah, either you can answer it or you can skip it. So, yeah. You know, when I was fighting for my third world title fight, or second, now I can't remember. It was either the third or fourth. No, wait, because France was my third world title fight. Um, so it was my fourth. And I was fighting up in Northern California. And... My opponent was somebody named Ramona Gatto, and she, no, I, I take the back. We were in Lake Tahoe, but she was from Northern California. Anyway, um, I was going through some, I was really sick and under the weather uh, right at that fight. So I wasn't feeling 100%. I wasn't feeling my best. And all I know is that during the fight, I was struggling because she was just on me like this, right? Like white on rice, right there, on <laughs> and no letting up. And I was very frustrated. And I remember, um, you know, at that time, I just, you know, I kept saying to myself, That's it. you're going to be okay. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. You just, you just got to get past this, get past this, right? And I was talking to myself the whole time and you know even though I was frustrated with her and frustrated with the fact that I wasn't feeling 100% um, I remember when the bell rang and <laughs> here's the funny part it was a vacant title which means neither one of us had it we we're both fighting for that one title um, but for some reason Ramona thought that I had already had the title and that she was fighting me for it, which was not the case. It was a vacant title. <clears throat> so the fight ends. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I threw that one out the window. <laughs> I lost that sucker. 
right? And I, I mean, I just knew I had lost that fight because I was just so frustrated and so just not myself. And she was a very, uh, a very uh, pressure fighter. She was the one that was like Troy Dorsey, just on you all the time. And I just thought, well, I screwed that up. So I'm standing there and they said, okay, we're tallying up the scores. And, you know, the referee was not, the announcer was talking. And then he goes, and he goes, he pulls us up and he goes, okay, fighting for, the words he said were basically, um, he, he, he rattled off the scores, right? Like 29, 28. 27, 26, blah, 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 right? And he says, and new, and the new ISKA women's bantamweight world champion. And when he said the new ISKA bantamweight world champion, she automatically thought that she had won the title because she thought I had it. So she's jumping up and down and screaming and yelling and saying, I dethroned the queen. I dethroned the queen. And I look at her and I'm thinking, they haven't even said a name yet. What are you doing? <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> and then they announced my name. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was stunned. I went, what? Really? Because I just figured, you know, they'd say her name and and I'd be done with it, right? When they yeah. said my name, I was blown away. And this woman was so spiteful and so mean and so full of hatred. And she's like, that's not right. The judges, the judges are wrong. The judges are wrong. And I said, how can the judges be wrong? That's what they decided, right? Yeah. yeah. And she's screaming up and down. I mean, just really furious at the fact that I had, I had won the title and she kept demanding. She'd come up to me after the fight and I'm walking away and she's like, I demand a rematch. I demand a rematch. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? You will never get a rematch ever. And I turned around and I walked away and I never, I never gave her one. Oh, there was a part of me that wanted to, because I figured, you know, I won being really sick and not feeling good. And I won by unanimous decision. So maybe I should give her a rematch and just beat the beat the crap out of her. But then I thought, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do the satisfaction of giving her the rematch. Yeah. Uh, all right, Dad. That's definitely a wonderful story, Dad. Because really, I would probably wouldn't give her a rematch neither. I mean, definitely you come in there with a like a cocky attitude, or should I say. She was, she was she was so bad that after my last world title fight, um, she showed up and she's, you know, I, I, I finished the fight and I had, there was a whole group of kids that wanted autographs. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. I can't believe all these kids really actually want an autograph. So I, I kind of like the Pied Piper. I'd lead them all over to a, a, an empty <laughs> a part of the stadium where there was plenty of seats. And as I'm leading him over there, she comes walking up and I'm looking at her. And I thought to myself, I was, I was warned. 
that she'd be there and I was warned not to engage with her. <laughs> so I looked at her and I just kept walking and I was talking to the kids and I sat down and they all sat down and I said, okay, what do you got? And so they'd hand me a piece of paper or a, one of the tickets that they got while coming in or whatever they had. I, I just start signing it and I talk to them about martial arts and, you know, and she comes in and then she walks up and she sits right next to me. Oh, I mean, she's bumping them against my shoulder and I'm thinking she's touching me. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, just let it go. Just let it go. And she goes, I want an autograph. I thought, oh my God, not in front of kids, not in front of kids, not in front of kids. Don't do it. And she says, I want you to write it to the woman who's going to kick my ass. Uh oh. <laughs> and I thought, wow. And I stood up and I said, come on, kids, let's go. And as we're all walking away, she's saying, you know, I'm going to kick your ass. You know that you can't be, you know this, you know that. And I just ignored her, completely ignored her. And I went somewhere else and I finished signing all the autographs for the kids. Very, very interesting moment when I came so close, but I thought, nope, kids are watching, can't touch her, can't yeah. say anything to her, can't do anything like that, anything. And it was a very interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. All right, the next question, uh, how do you reward yourself? I kind of call this the guilty pleasure how do I reward myself? Yeah. You know, you know how people are like on strict diets, but you know, they kind of slip that chocolate cake in and thumb like pizza pretty much kind of cheat day. Well, that's what I call it a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Well, I, during my fighting career, after I had a fight, I was allowed one week off and Sarah. Oh, there's a little cat. <laughs> yeah, she's 15 years old, but super spry. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I was saying that uh, I was allowed one week off to recover and re regroup. And I was allowed um, one session with a little bowl of Oreo cookies and, and milk. That was my guilty pleasure after uh, after a fight. Yeah, I say I could say that's well deserved. I mean, yeah. if I was yeah, if I was tonight milking cookies and until my fight was over, then of course I'd be going crazy. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, during my whole fighting career, I I was working several jobs. I was teaching full time, um, so in that respect, and I was training full time. So I, I think I was lucky if I ate once a day, lucky. Yeah. You know, I, I and if that, when I got that meal, it was because I hadn't eaten in, in several days or that day. Um, you know, I'd usually just want to pass out afterwards. And it was a small meal. It'd be a small piece of chicken breast and some broccoli and a little bit of brown rice or something like that. And like I said, I didn't get to eat very much. Um, and I trained every day but Sunday so six days a week pretty much uh I mean even Christmas day I'd be training New Year's Day I'd be training Valentine's Day it didn't matter because once you decide that that's your that's your profession that you're as a pro then you train all the time 
I wanted to make sure that I was always available if a promoter called and said, hey, would Kathy like to fight on this fight? And they, my, my trainer would say, yeah, she's ready. Let's do it. And I was always ready. Yeah. That, yeah. Just It's always best to keep yourself in least fit shape, but you know, you want to have that one guilty pleasure when you're not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, only after a fight and that was it. <laughs> yeah. That's like a celebration. Yeah. That's well-deserved. <laughs> All right. Secret talent, something that people that you know about, but people don't. Ooh. <clears throat> well, All right, I'll tell this one. <laughs> um, Sarah, little monster. Speech, speech. <laughs> so, um, when I was 10 years old, I drowned in a pool. And I was pronounced, I, I, not pronounced dead, but I was you know, dead while they were reviving me. Um, and it, it took him a couple minutes, maybe three three minutes at the most. And during that time, it was probably one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. And, you know, I mean, I remember it very clearly today. But as a result of that, I um, am highly empathic. And I, at times, hear people's thoughts. Um, it's not all the time. Can't necessarily control it. Um, but... You know, I can also uh, I guess a, it's not something I, I talk about a lot, but you know, sometimes I can look in people's eyes and I'll see what um, like their their deepest fears or deepest perversions or um, something that's been plaguing them for maybe generations. Uh, it's very interesting and you know in that respect um, sometimes I'll pick up like if I go into a, a, a thrift store for example and I'll pick up an old piece of jewelry or an old button or an old something and I, I'll be able to tell uh, I'll, I'll suddenly see where it came from and what house and who, who owned it and who they were and uh, it's fascinating sometimes doesn't happen all the time, but you know, every so often, um, I've been able to uh, heal somebody with a touch or a hug. Uh, it's those are things I don't talk about a lot. Yeah, I think I can relate to that because you know I have that feeling because you know if I'm thinking of a movie that um I watched used to watch as a kid. Like, I've usually, it just comes to mind, and then all of a sudden, I turn on the TV, that movie is on, and that's, like, yeah. almost have that, like, Jedi sense. Yeah, or, this is cool. <laughs> or if I know, like, if somebody's going to walk into a store, like, if I know it's, like, my best friend, it's, like, and then all of a sudden, I, that person appears at me, it's, like, like, how did I know? I have that, that's, I pretty much can relate to what you were saying, that what's your secret talent, mm -hmm. so I pretty much almost have that same Secret talent. Yeah. Isn't it cool? I mean, there are times when uh, my phone will ring and I'll know my phone's going to ring <laughs> and I'll know who it is. <laughs> yeah. I'll look at the phone and I'll go, huh, oh, Bill's going to call. 
And then, and then the phone rings and I pick it up. Hey, Bill, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. So let's see. Final question. Do you have any um, a special quote or like uh, sort of a message that um, that describes your um, whole journey? Wow. Um, you know, um, before the soul chooses uh, a person to uh, to inhabit, for lack of a better term. Um, usually, uh, it happens before before their birth. Before birth is sometimes right at birth, but they also choose the experiences that they want to have through that person. Sometimes, uh, it's a little difficult for for a person to grasp, a human being to grasp. Saying, "Wait a minute," so the soul chose to inhabit a, a body of a little baby that is going to have cancer and um, and go through chemo and battle it and, and maybe come out the other side. So the soul is choosing that? Yes. Yeah, that's, I'm just thinking about that. That's like, that's heavy. I mean. It's heavy. Yeah. You know what? Um, they go through those experiences for their own evolution, for their own evolvement, I guess is more accurate to say. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I gotta think of, I gotta think of that quote. That's like a nice quote, like you said, the soul picks the body, but and also picks the experience pretty much. Yes. Okay. It, they choose the experience experiences they want to have um you know it's funny because there are a lot of people who say well you got free will you don't have to do that well <laughs> 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 that makes me laugh because yes and no yes and no yeah i mean it'll happen eventually if not in this lifetime then another lifetime another another being that they choose because it's not just earth it's it's a multitude of like an unbelievable, un unfathomable amount of planets that inhabit beings that souls choose to experience. Some are more evolved than others, and some uh, are not. You know, like we're on the evolvement, we're on the lower end, if Earth is anyway, and human beings are. But with any luck, um, it's actually changing right now as, as we speak. Um, there are times when people didn't believe in UFOs and now it's, you know, it's a, a, a common belief. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very interesting how to see what has changed over just a hundred or 200 years with human beings. Yeah. Hey, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm going to think about that all pretty much for all my, my life. Pretty much. That's all I'm going to think about that quote. Hey. Well, thank you very much for joining me um, on this episode. Right, so definitely it's a, been a wonderful discussion. And definitely once this goes out, definitely everybody's going to hear about your wonderful story. And hopefully they'll go and learn from it and just become better people or even better comp competitors, pretty much. You know, I will say that 
you know, as odd as it may sound, um, just be as kind as you can because everybody is going through something. And, you know, there are different degrees of it, um, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, but, you know, if you, if you always try to be kind, every chance you get, then it, it will definitely, you could actually save somebody's life. Your one act of kindness could be something that prevents someone from committing suicide at that moment. Yep. Right. So yeah. just be kind every chance you get. Yeah. So those are the final words of Kathy Long to the, our listeners out there. So, of course, again, thank you. I know you have a pretty much long schedule, and definitely we made this to this schedule for you to talk to the people. All right. So I'm going to do my little closing. Yeah. I'm going to do my little closing to my show. All right. For those who are just tuning in, um, tune into my previous episodes on the BICBPRadio.com, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another session here at the Kickback Dojo. This is your host, TJ Williams, bowing you out. (laughs)